How many accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, yet how few truly allow Him to be the Lord and the Master of their lives? You know this verse, above me and behind me, come unto me all those who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. It's an invitation to all those who are burdened with sin. As our brother mentioned, that those consequences, the penalty of sin, come unto me and I will give you rest. I will take that load off of your shoulders and I will give you rest. But then right afterwards he says, now take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke, which is discipleship, which is that desire of the Lord for us to become his bond slaves, to follow him, because he is the, the one that we can learn from. Because as our brother mentioned, he was the bond slave of God. His own ear was pierced, opened, dug. And he was not disobedient, neither did he turn back. And that's what he wants each and every one of us to do, to follow in his footsteps. And he will teach us how to become profitable unto God, true bond slaves of our Lord Jesus Christ as Apostle Paul and as the rest of the apostles and other godly men and women. Please open your Bibles to Book of Acts. Book of Acts, chapter 1. Acts, chapter 1, and verse 14. Acts, chapter 1, verse 14 says, These would all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer. These, all with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer. And also, a familiar scripture in second chapter of the book of Acts, and verse 42, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What I would like to speak about this evening is prayer. I have no doubt all of us who are born again know how to pray, and we do pray. Yet at the same time, and it seems that a lot of times it becomes only a religious exercise. It is not taken as seriously as it should be taken. You know, it is a great privilege to pray. Each individual born-again believer has a right to an answered prayer. So not only is it a privilege to, to come before the Almighty God, who now is our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, and to ask, to petition, to intercede, to cry out to, but also that he hears, he desires us, he welcomes us, and he desires to answer that prayer and those prayers. Whether it be prayer of an individual believer or prayer of the assembly. For 40 years I've been praying as a born-again believer. And yet I can say that not all of my prayers have been answered. 
All my life, I've been in the assemblies, various assemblies, and I heard many a prayer go up in a prayer meeting. Yet, I know for a fact that not all of our prayers were answered. I participated in many a prayer meeting outside of the assembly, group prayer meetings. And yet again, I have to sadly say that not all of our prayers were answered. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's just the opposite. We pray for someone to be healed and a person dies. I'm sure all of us experience that. We pray for a person to get better, and they linger on and on and on on a bed of sickness for years. Yet the Word of God tells us that if we pray according to His will, the Word of God tells us very clearly that our prayers will be answered. So then why are our prayers not answered, at least not all the time? It's, it's almost like hit and miss. It's almost like a blind man or, or, or somebody going in a, in a dark room and, uh, and he's trying to find a door and by the time he finds the door, he's got a broken arm because he fell a couple of times and a black eye because he hit something, fell, ran into something. Why is it like that? So today, by the grace of God, again, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know. And I'm sure you heard uh, sermons on prayer before. And you see them and you study in the Word of God, you can find many things. But my desire is to bring us closer and to open our hearts to, be, to have a desire to study more on this great subject of prayer, which is our right an answered prayer, which is our right as well. So what is prayer? Prayer is coming into the presence of the living God. It is a place where hope is lifted and supplication is made. It is a place where we admit our need, our weakness, adopt humility, claim dependence on the living God. In prayer, we can open our heart and we can be completely honest before the Lord. Sometimes, even before the closest of our families and friends, we are not completely honest. I'm not saying we're lying. We're just withholding the truth about our feelings, our thoughts, our desires. But every now and then, I will, when I come before the Lord on my knees, I will joyfully confess and I say, Lord, I am so happy then I cannot hide anything from thee. I can be completely honest with him because he knows everything. He knows my feelings. He knows the attitude of my heart. He knows everything about me. The, the, the deepest recesses of my heart are open and clear, enlightened to him because he's the searcher of hearts. So we can be completely honest and free before him. The more we pray, the more we allow him into our lives. And this is what he desires. He desires to be included in all that we do, to be part of our decisions, part of our joys, part of our concerns, part of our sorrows. 
And you know, when you and I are concerned, when you and I are troubled, the Lord knows. And He bears with us. And He wants to be part of this uh, time that we come before Him to confess before Him and to, and to rely on Him to help us in this great hour of need. Psalmist uh, says that my tears are written in Thy book. They are kept in Thy bottle. So He does care about our sorrows in our tears, in our joys. He wants to be part of our joy, and he wants to be part of every decision that you and I make. Makes no difference what that decision is. No, makes no difference how minute we might think that decision is. He wants to be part of it. Because more time we spend in his presence, the more sense we have of his presence. And this is what walk with God is all about. It is this sense, this knowledge this awareness of his presence. Because when we are walking with him, and this is why Apostle Paul says to pray without ceasing, not necessarily 24-7 on our knees, no, but in, a, in a, uh, an attitude of prayer, attitude of dependence, attitude of asking him for advice, of including him in all that we do, in all of our decisions. And this gives us confidence. It gives us boldness gives us joy, gives us comfort, it gives us awareness, it gives us discipline, and it gives us fear. This way, we will not sin against Him. This way, we can see sin coming afar off. We can see temptations coming afar off, and we can cry out to Him. But if we are occupied with other things, if our hearts, our thoughts are occupied with things of this world, then it is so easy to just fall into sin, to yield to that temptation. Prayer is also work. It is the highest work that is entrusted to us, be it individually or corporately, because the root and the strength and success of all spiritual work is really prayer. It is the backbone. It is the power behind every work. God has a plan. And He makes this plan know to His people. He lays it on the heart of His people, whether it's individual, again, or whether it's the whole assembly, whether it's few. And then His people pray, and God answers that prayer, and thus His will and His plan is accomplished. This is why it's so important to walk in the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, we are reminded that we do not know how we are to pray. Now, of course, each one of us can throw our prayers and ask for things and ask for others to, to intercede for them, but we do not know how we are to pray according to the will of God. But the Holy Spirit who is in us, He is the one who teaches us because He knows the heart of God. He knows the plan of God. He knows the counsel of God. He's, he's uh, a member of the Trinity. So he knows what's going on in the heart of God, and he reveals those things to us, and this is how we can pray intelligently, not hit and miss, but we can pray according to the will of God. A healthy, spiritual, bold, determined church is praying church. You know, you notice that prayer is not one of the gifts which are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
or Romans chapter 12, or Ephesians chapter 4, or anywhere else in the Word of God. Prayer is not a gift. Nevertheless, prayer is product of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we have to be yielded and submitted to the Holy Spirit in order for our prayers to be according to His will. But you know, just as we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to pray according to the will of God, we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to receive an answer. And an answer to a prayer is just as important as prayer itself. Otherwise, why would we pray? Is it just a religious exercise? Just like coming to the meeting and reading our Bibles? To many, it's just a religious exercise, nothing else. But you know, it, it doesn't make sense. Uh, we're not speaking here about giving thanks and praise and worship. We're not depending on an answer in that sense. We're speaking about when we pray for something, for our needs, intercede for others, looking for direction. We should be looking for an answer. And just as we need the Holy Spirit to guide us into prayer, we need the Holy Spirit to guide us in receiving that answer because answered prayer produces few great things. First of all, it brings heavenly power down to our very lives and to our very work. At the same time, it produces fruit that will remain and will receive reward for that fruit. In John chapter 15, our Lord Jesus Christ speaks of fruit, much fruit, and much, or fruit and much fruit. And much fruit, when he mentions, he's speaking about answered prayer. Because this is pleasing to the Father. This is fruit for Him. And it's a reward for us. It satisfies God and His endurance and eternal reward. It likewise produces joy for us. Fullness of joy, our Lord Jesus Christ said. Why? Because we have served the purpose of God. We have become co-laborers with Him. We allowed the living God to use us to accomplish His purpose on this earth. You know, God works through us, through the church, through His people here on this earth, not apart from us. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, one of the prophets says that the Lord will not do anything apart from revealing that will to His servants and His prophets in order for them to pray. And thus, when they do pray, then He answers that prayer. We can see this throughout the Old and New Testament. So we see how important it is for answered prayer. We pray to be heard, for our petitions and pleas and intercessions to be answered. Answered prayer evidences our spiritual walk. This is how we can tell what is our spiritual walk like. If our prayers are consistently answered, then we can tell that we are walking with the Lord, that He hears our prayer, that the Spirit of God leads us into prayer, if our prayers are not answered, well, there's the answer, that we are not walking with the Lord. And this is how we can measure ourselves. Well, for prayer to be answered, it must meet certain conditions. These are not conditions that I came up with. These are conditions that we found in the, find in the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, uh, most of uh, 
God's promises are conditional promises, including salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The promise is salvation, but the condition is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And prayer is no different. It must be in the Spirit. We find this throughout the New Testament to pray in the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 6, Jude verse 20, and as I mentioned already, Romans chapter 8, how we must if our prayer to be answered because we do not know how to pray. So he teaches us, he leads us in prayer. Prayer must be according to the will of God in order to be answered. And this is the confidence which we have before him, John says in 1 John chapter 5, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear. We must abide in Christ, and his word must abide in us. This is, these are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 15 and verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then whatever you ask, whatsoever, it says, it will be given unto you. You know, um, how often is this promise misused as a blank check? And I heard this before from the pulpit many times. Well, since you're a child of God, God has given you a check drawn on a bank of heaven. He has signed it already and left it blank for you to fill out. Yeah. I tried it many times, and uh, either the, bank or the check bounced or something happened. A false check. No, it doesn't work that way. That's not what our Lord Jesus Christ said. He did say that our Father will answer every, anything and everything. Whatsoever. It doesn't say hit and miss. It doesn't say sometimes. He said whatsoever. But we see two uh, conditions. If you abide in me, if you draw from me, if you serve me, if you allow me to be part of your life, if you depend on me, and if my words abide in you. In other words, if our life is regulated by his word, his commandments, and his promises, personally appropriated and fed upon. We must be walking according to God's word, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Well, simply because we keep his commandments and we do things which are pleasing in his sight, pleasing to him. So he, he loves to answer our prayers. And he desires to answer our prayers. And he desires for us to be part of this great work that he is doing on this earth. Prayer must likewise be offered in faith. I mean, you know, if we don't believe, then why even pray? James tells us that if we don't believe, if there's no faith, don't let that person think that he will receive anything of the Lord. And our Lord Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 11 uh, told us that when you pray, pray as if you have received it already in past tense. Now, I've been in the assemblies, as I mentioned, for many, many years, and I heard a lot of prayer. I have never heard anybody pray like this. But I've read about it. I see it in the scriptures. Elijah, he sent a message to Ahab. Go ahead and eat and hurry up because there's a sound of great rain. He promised rain before he came. George Mueller, you'll know him, or many of us know about him. 
There was nothing to eat. There were many orphans. And he told those attendants, seat the children at the tables. But Mr. Mueller, there is no food. Seat them at the tables. When they sat down at the tables, he gave thanks for the food. When he said amen, then it was a knock on the door. And food arrived. He had no idea where it was going to come from. But he prayed and he gave thanks for the food they were about to partake, even though food was nowhere to be found yet. It was nowhere in sight. So yes, dear saints, this is all true if we would only take it by faith. When prayer is corporate prayer or group prayer, there's another condition found in Matthew chapter 18. If two of you were to agree on anything on this earth, my Father will answer. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in their midst. So this is something to remember. That if we agree on a thing, we come together. Of course, we have to meet the rest of the conditions as well. Not just do whatever we want to do and just agree on something and, and throw it up and expect the Lord to answer it. So what do we find and what do these conditions reveal? Well, they reveal a heart that is focused on the Lord. A heart that is in tune with the Lord. A heart that desires to do His will, not its own. A heart that is walking in the Spirit. But you know, we pray not only for the things that we need. We pray not only to intercede for our family and friends. We also pray for His specific will. Directions in our lives, directions in the assembly, directions for the family. You know, when it comes to His general will, we find in the Word of God. We find many things in the Word of God which is general to individuals and, and the assembly or the church as a whole. Instructions, guidelines on our conduct, on our responsibility, responsibility of the assembly, procedures of the assembly, organizations of the assembly. We don't have to go to uh, uh, form a huddle and, and try to figure out what we're going to do, how to organize an assembly. We don't have to borrow from the world. No, all these things are here for us already. It's a general will of God, general plan of God. But then there is a specific will of God. The details, whether for an individual or an assembly, these are revealed by His Holy Spirit through prayer. I'll give you an example, preaching the gospel. Well, preaching the gospel is a a general will of God, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. But now, who goes where and when and how it is to be done? Two different things. This is to be revealed specifically through prayer. We have an example in Acts chapter 13. Five men get together. These men were already prophets and teachers. They were already functioning in the assembly. They were preaching to the unsaved, and they were building up the assembly. 
They were doing everything they were supposed to that the Lord Jesus Christ commanded. But then these five men got together in order to find out what is the further will of God. What else is it that the Lord would require him to do? Is there something more besides staying in this particular assembly at Antioch, or does the Lord want us to do something different? And they got together, and they prayed fervently, and they fasted. But you notice they did not come together with any preconceived ideas of who should go, where they should go, and how they should accomplish this. They could have come together and say, Lord, uh, Barnabas and Saul are younger than the rest of us, and they are unmarried, and we would like to commend them to your work uh, first. They would like to go to Antioch from then to go on to Ephesus, and then to Corinth, and then maybe to uh, Macedonia. And we will stay behind, we will pray for them, we will support them. This is kind of typical of what's going on many times in, in a Christendom. Preconceived ideas of what we want to see, how we want to see things done. And I have to confess that sometimes I find myself in the same trap. It's almost like me trying to lead the Lord my way because I already have an idea what I want the Lord to accomplish, whether through me or the assembly. And we don't mean bad. It's a well-meaning desire, but we're trying to help the Lord because this is what we want to see. Well, these men came together without any preconceived ideas. They simply prayed until their prayers were answered, and they fasted. And God honored their determination and their sacrifice. The determination was that they prayed until the prayer was answered, until the Spirit of God spoke very clearly. And their sacrifice was fasting. They have given up their God-given right to food. And this is our God-given right to partake of, of physical food for our bodies because God made our bodies that need food, need nourishment. But these five men, and not only these, we see it in Old Testament, New Testament, uh, that men and women of God came to the Lord and they set aside that food because answer to that prayer was more important than few morsels of food. And we can see our Lord Jesus Christ himself fasting. So their determination, their sacrifice was answered, and God is the one who chose He's the one who said, separate unto me. And then we can see how they went from place to place and how the Lord blessed this effort simply because it was according to his will. So the question is, do we believe that the Lord speaks today? Do we also believe that he speaks clearly today? There are those who believe that he does not speak clearly, that we have to kind of uh, read between the lines, and that we have to start something, and then if it's the Lord's will then, of course, it will be profitable, there will be success. If it's not the Lord's will, then, of course, it will be a failure. It reminds me just of a drunken man that staggers to and fro, or somebody going in the dark or in a, in a fog and can't find his way. And sometimes, by chance, he hits the door, and sometimes, as I said, he gets, he gets abused, he gets bruised before he finds that door. Sometimes he doesn't even find it. Do we believe that he communicates his specific will, his detailed will to us? Do we believe that? If we 
do, then we need to wait for a definite answer. If we don't, then why even pray? It doesn't make sense, does it? Then let's just do what we want to do. And if it's the Lord's will, then it's going to happen. But let us not mock God by praying and asking for his will. If you're going to do things anyway, things that we want to do, if we believe and we don't, then really we're mocking him. We say we believe, but we are doing things our own way, and really it's a sin of presumption. Two sons of Aaron commit a sin of presumption. They simply assume, they presume that it was okay to offer strange fire. David prays that the Lord would save him from presumptuous sin, even the great transgression. You know, we can meet we can discuss, we can agree on many things. Yet, we have to ask ourselves, is it according to the will of God? And therefore, really, we should come before the Lord and seek His will and not our own. Now, this is not easy because, as I mentioned, it is so easy uh, because we have preconceived ideas of what we want the Lord to accomplish and how to accomplish these things. And when I was thinking about this this afternoon, I was really being convicted myself, as I just mentioned a few moments ago, how guilty of this I am, whether it's for my life or the assembly. I'm putting words into the Lord's mouth, and I know for a fact that I, it's simply because this is what I want to see. And then I have to correct myself. He says, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. May your will be done and mine. So we should not move or proceed no matter how, what the urgency is. And sometimes this is very hard to do because we know that there are urgent matters out there. People expect things to be done. We expect things to be done. But to move or to wait and not to do anything, yet in the Word of God we find that patiently are waiting on the Lord, patiently, patiently. Um, so we should not be rushing into decisions that may not be according to his will. You know, we have an example of this in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two sisters sent for him. They sent him an urgent message. Hurry. The one who you love is ill. They sent a prayer. Come. Lazarus, whom you love, is ill. He's sick. Lord, if you were here, my brother would not have died. Both of them said that. Yet we see that it was the will of God for Lazarus to die. How about Jairus? Remember Jairus? He came to the Lord, and he pleaded with him, Lord, come, my little girl, my little daughter is sick to the point of death. Well, the Lord was a young man. He could have just sprinted to his house. It wasn't that far from, from the seashore or from the, uh, the lake shore where he just uh, came on a ship. He could have sprinted there in no time at all, five minutes with Jairus, and he would have healed the daughter. But instead, the Lord took his time. And there was a great crowd that followed him. And then an incident happened. Remember the woman that had an issue of blood? Now, the Lord didn't interrupt her and said, now hold on a second, I've got to rush over to Jairus' house. But the Lord Jesus Christ said, who touched me? And we see that whole conversation and, uh, that the Lord had, and that she really, con her own confession and all this took, some, took, took a lot of time to the point that by that time, we see servants coming from Jairus' house saying, don't, don't bother the master. The girl's dead. 
Again, we see that even though it was an urgency, and the prayer was, Lord, come, my, do- my daughter is sick on the- at a point of death. We see that the Lord Jesus Christ waited and took his time simply because it wasn't the will of God for her to be healed, but to die. And we see glory of God afterwards, both in Lazarus's case and in Jairus' daughter's case, that God was glorified more so than he would have been otherwise. When we go to God with such an attitude of faith and obedience, dear saints, as we pray, a sense of assurance or lack of assurance will be very clear. Whether it's an individual or a group of believers praying. Because we believe that the Lord is faithful and because our desire is to do His will, not ours, and because we trust Him, He will give us that assurance and the assurance will be continue to pray. It will be answered. Or it will be lack of assurance. He will give it to someone in that congregation or in an individual if, it's, if I'm praying by myself. And then I can say, this is not the will of God. I will stop praying this particular pray, but prayer. But how often is it we just go on and on and on and on for years praying for somebody, and it's not the will of God, yet we still do it. And it's out of well-meaning, of course. But it's praying against the will of God, as a matter of fact. And then we are like those who are fighting against God, not co-working with Him. So we need to take this into consideration as well. The first church followed this procedure as seen in the book of Acts. We just saw. They got together. They're of one accord. They made an obedience as instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in this particular instance, in chapter 1, they did not come together after ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't come together to form a plan of how to form a church, how to organize the church. to evangelize, how to collect money for for the poor. They could have said, you know what, we've been with the Lord for three and a half years for crying out loud. We know what to do. We can go two by two, as the Lord sent us before. But instead, they obeyed. The Lord Jesus Christ specifically told them. He gave them instructions, general instructions, but then he says, go and wait. He says, wait until you are empowered, until you are clothed from power from on high, with power from on high, which was the Holy Spirit. And then when the Holy Spirit was given, and they prayed, and they prayed for the promise, they waited and prayed. That's all they did until the promise was given. When the promise was given, we see that Peter stood up with the 11, and 3,000 were saved. And from then on, we see the leading of the Holy Spirit. It is He who organized the church. It is He who built the church. It is He who decided who goes and who stays. In time of crisis, when they were beaten in chapter 4 and they were in prison. You don't see him coming back to the meeting and says, you know what, we got to do something, guys. There's got to be an escape route. Let's go on the ground. Maybe let's petition the Caesar himself. No. What did they do? They prayed again. They prayed for boldness. And they received boldness, and they went out, and they preached again the same place they were beaten and arrested. Prayer. When Peter was arrested, 
the whole assembly got together and they prayed. How long? Until the man was released. Of course, they didn't, at the end, they, uh, they had a hard time believing. That's a different story. That's a different subject altogether. But they were consistent. They were faithful. And they prayed until the man was released. When it was to go out for the ministry, again we see, as I mentioned already, 13th chapter of the book of Acts, that they prayed and they fasted. When Barnabas and, and, and Paul were coming back from the missionary journey, Word of God says they stopped in every church and did what? They appointed elders. How did they appoint elders? He says, well, these are the instructions. These are the qualifications. You, 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 and you qualify. No, it says by prayer and fasting. Why? Because it is the Holy Spirit who picks. It is the Holy Spirit who chooses. And it was like this in every assembly. Yes, we do have guidelines. We do have conditions. We do have qualifications for elders and deacons. But not apart from prayer. In this case, it was prayer and fasting. And I no doubt every church that Apostle Paul went to, he taught the same thing, even though it might be mentioned to us. It's not mentioned to Timothy and Titus, but I no doubt he instructed them, and this is the way it was done. Dear saints, it makes no difference whether it's a business meeting or a brethren meeting, whether it's electing elders or choosing elders or deacons or any other to send someone in on a mission field. It makes no difference what it is, any and every decision. If it's not found here in the Word of God, it must be brought in a prayer meeting. And we must pray until the answer is given. Otherwise, we don't go anywhere. We stay. They stayed. So do we believe that God is faithful? Do we believe that He is able? Do we believe that He will do so? That's the biggest question. It falls on us, not on Him. He already promised. We have examples, not only from the Scriptures. We have examples last 2,000 years of godly men and women. We know that God is faithful. We know that He speaks, even today. But are we faithful? And are we willing to wait? And are we willing to meet the conditions? That's the hardest part. Public prayer is not to teach, not to preach a sermon, not to exhort, and not to correct. Yet this is what we find many times. It is a plea, it is a petition, it is a cry to know his will, to know his direction, to receive an answer. It is an intercession on behalf of others. It is praise acknowledging his work. In examples of prayer that we have in the scriptures, we find simple language and to the point. We don't want to fluff it up, outdo one another. Definite statements and petitions stated very clearly and very briefly. As a matter of fact, I think the longest prayer in the, in the Word of God we can read in less than five minutes. Yet sometimes we and I'm not accusing anybody or anything here, but sometimes over the years and we find that some brethren would like to take 15, 20, 20 minutes in a public prayer, in a prayer meeting. In one such a place, a brother was going on and on and on and on like an energizer bunny. After he was already spoken to a few times and it was... Uh, a study on the prayer, instructions on prayer, and so on and so forth, there's an agreement on prayer. 
and just kept on. So after a while, a brother went to him and tapped him on the shoulder. His eyes popped out of his head, and the brother just pointed to the clock and said, it's time to end it. And that was the end of the prayer meeting. I believe it was either George Mueller or, or William Kelly in the same manner. A brother was going on and on and on. Well, one of those godly men got up and says, well, our brother Spring will sing hymn number 350. <laughs> and that was the end of that prayer. You're saying we can pray, have long prayers at home, in your own closet. There's nothing wrong with a long prayer. And if we agree to pray all night, by all means. But in a public prayer meeting, we need to be careful. We need to make sure that we are really praying according to the will of God. And I don't think it's the will of God for us to go on and on. Because as I mentioned, we have beautiful examples of such. But more we study prayer, and the more we practice prayer scripturally, the closer, dear saints, will be our walk with the Lord and greater our joy. Because prayer that is energized by the Holy Spirit, says James, is powerful and prevails. In other words, prayer of a righteous man avails much. And as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, I didn't tell you anything new. But I would like us to think about prayer afresh. That prayer is prayed simply to receive an answer. It is very important to receive an answer. Just as important as praying. And that we need to examine our own selves. And I examine myself. And us as an assembly. That when it's time to do things, and it's not mentioned, some answers we have in the scriptures. There's, it's easy. This is what the Lord wants us to do, and that's it. But otherwise, let's not jump the gun and just do things because somebody expects us to do things or because we are just too impatient. And the Lord will honor it. And there is no greater joy. And I can vouch for that. I'm sure many of you can too when you receive an answered prayer. You know specifically, this is the direction. And the Lord gave it. And the Lord answered it. And He's glorified. And we're joyful that we have served His purpose. May the Lord bless His word. Our loving God and our Heavenly Father, we are thankful and grateful, Father, again for this day. Give you thanks for Thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Give you thanks, Father, for Thy blessed word which instructs us, the Holy Spirit who teaches us, unveils things unto us. Help us, Father, help us in this subject of prayer. For really, we do have to admit that we do not know how we are to pray in order for our prayers to be answered at all times. And this, we know, will be to thy glory and to thy honor. Therefore, Father, we yield ourselves to thee, we commit ourselves to thee, we confess our sins as well that oftentimes we are just too impatient and we do things on our own, apart from Thee. And therefore, Father, we do pray humbly. We do pray humbly that would lead us into this great privilege of an answered prayer. Lead us step by step, Father. Take us by the hand because this is what we need. 
whether it be for our individual lives or families or for this assembly, that we can truly prosper spiritually. And we know this is not possible apart from prayer, answered prayer. So we give you thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ that through him our prayers are answered. It is he who intercedes for us. It is the Spirit who likewise intercedes when we can't find words to pray. Father, we give thee thanks. Give thee thanks for thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his holy and precious name, amen.